Thanks for listening to Leadership Level Up. I'm Brian Prairie. And I'm Dr. Jeff Williamson. I am just starting my leadership journey. And I've been guiding leaders for 30 years. Our podcast aims to shine a spotlight on outstanding leaders and provide a platform for them to describe their leadership journey and share the guiding principles that have helped them become great leaders. Welcome to Leadership Level Up Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Williamson. My host, Brian Prairie, is with us as well. And we have been looking forward for weeks and weeks to having our guest today. And you are going to enjoy this conversation. And uh, Paul Allen is with us. I'm going to tell you a quick bit about him, but first I'll let him say hello. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Brian. Great to be on. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks for so much here. for your time. Yeah. Great to have you with us. So if you are not familiar with Paul, let me tell you just quickly some of the things that he has done professionally, and uh, we'll kind of back up and, and hear some of that story as well. But uh, Paul was the founder and former CEO of Ancestry.com, and he served there in that role a number of years and later sold the company. And at that time, then, he became the global strengths evangelist for the Gallup organization. And uh, that is something we'll come back to and talk about. That's where he and I kind of crossed paths was the strengths piece. So he was the global strengths evangelist for the Gallup organization and literally traveled all over the world telling the good, <laughs> the good news of the strengths approach to, to things. And we'll talk about that. And then his most recent adventure, Venture, uh, was he is the co-founder and CEO of Soar.com, which we'll unpack and learn a little bit more about that as we go along. So again, Paul, great to have you with us. We're really excited to hear about some of your experiences as a leader, as an entrepreneur. And so thanks again for being here with us. So let me just jump right in on the first, the first topics uh, that we'll kind of talk about is uh, related to leadership, of course. And you've worked with a lot of incredible people. You have led multiple organizations. So to get us kind of thinking about the topic, I'd love to hear from you some, just some key foundational leadership concepts. If someone said, Hey, what are three or four things that you think are central to your leadership and what you admire in leadership from other people? What would, what would some of those be? Well, Jeff, thanks. I uh, don't think I've ever been on a leadership interview before. It's it's interesting for me to look at my career and think, you know, I never had an, an apprenticeship. I was never kind of coached or taught or mentored. You know, Andy Jass, Jaffe was chief of staff with Jeff Bezos for like 20 years before he became the CEO of Amazon. So he got to shadow someone who was a great leader already. And since I started my first company in my early 20s and got the title of CEO, mm -hmm. I was thrust into a leadership role with no preparation or qualifications. So it was quite an interesting journey. I will tell you, I made every mistake you could possibly make as the founder of my first startup, hiring all the wrong people, hiring family and friends without qualification. Like we did not know what we were doing. I'd never had a business class in college. I'd never had a technology class. Here I am a tech founder. And so I would say, if you want to be a great leader, don't follow my meandering <laughs> journey to where I am. I'm actually hoping to become an emerging leader with now a lifetime of experience of making mistakes, but also seeing amazing people, reading lots of books. But, I, but I've never worked for uh, a company where I grew in my leadership role until I deserved the title of leader. You, you can just found a company, be the president or CEO, and now everyone who works for you, you know, obviously that's not the right definition of leader, but that is one way to try to grow into 
a leadership role is to just become it and then and then work and tr- and try to you know become a good leader someday. Well, one can say even that uh, you tried all the wrong ways to be a leader, and now you're now you're you know doing doing the, taking the steps to being a, the the right leader. Mm-hmm. I am a learner, and I do read yes. a lot, observe a lot, and then now have experienced a lot. So upon reflection, we are intentionally creating a culture for the first time in nine companies. So mm-hmm. it's uh, it's right. It's really fun now to be my age with this amount of experience, and I could point to so many people that I've learned from, I've been inspired from, I've watched their example. And while I'm not trying to be them, I'm trying to find out, given my strengths, given my values, and given my goals, what's the best leader that I can become for the people that are working with me. Uh, and mm-hmm. and anyway, it's, it's just really fun. I'm having the time of my life. It's It's just really exciting to be alive, especially in the era of AI, yeah, Soar is Soar.com is an AI company, but mm-hmm. you know, leadership is so important everywhere in government, in education, in faith, in in corporations. The world needs great leaders. And so I, you know, I hope to grow into the best leader that I can become. You kind of pre-answered one of the questions I always love to to ask people, and it's it's related to that development as a leader. You know, I can't I can't even tell you how many times on this this podcast that people have said, "Well, I exactly think of myself as a leader. Really, I just oh, I, I had this had job <laughs> and I was in charge." But it, so you just address that beautifully, and I think there's something. Uh, nice about the fact that people don't always just think I'm the leader and I'm in charge. You know, if they're, if their humility and their spirits in the right place, then they're thinking, well, I know how to do some stuff, but I I'm still learning how to be a leader. And you just summarize that greatly. Brian and I've had that conversation many times. Mm -hmm. And that's really where this podcast grew out of was uh, him saying, well, well, I've worked with a lot of people, but I'm in this new role with this new company and I'm, and I have a staff and I'm trying to figure out how to lead, mentor, direct. And as you've stated, that's, it's a work in process. Oh yeah, it truly, truly is. I mean, and, and, uh, Paul, I, I, and I looked, uh, I went, I went deep into your LinkedIn history and I think you were uh, a leader in your game design, um, aspect, um, in leading your family and how to play games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. As a kid, my kid, my siblings and I sometimes got bored. And so I would invent games and and uh, I loved The Price of Right, Price is Right, and Family Feud. I love TV games. Oh my gosh, my brothers and I would watch that all the time in the summer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so then I would invent different games and and try to keep them entertained. So, yeah, I was always curious and and uh, you know trying to be uh, have have a good time. Um, so, but uh, you know, I'd say that I joke about this a little bit, but I think it actually is there's a thread of truth in it. When I was a teenager, I got into Dungeons and Dragons. And so for a year and a half, I basically played it full time with several of my closest friends. Mm, and I had a nice. dungeon and they were players and then I, they all had dungeons and I was a player in their games. And what I found was that the creativity required to create a world filled with monsters and traps and danger and then to navigate that in your character as a, as a role playing game, uh, there's so much imagination and and strategy involved in that and documentation and mapping. And it was just a really interesting. Now I quit cold Turkey because I had a strong impression that I was wasting my life. I I was in a, I was in a church setting and I felt like, 
God wasn't pleased with me just doing that all the time. So I, I told my friends I, I had to quit. But as I look back on my first companies and realize that in a game, it's like a real world setting. You're now designing a company with products and you've got mm -hmm. to find customers. And, and I'm like, I think that game playing prepared mm -hmm. me for being an entrepreneur no, more than anything else that I experienced in life. Yeah. And that ideation that I think is uh, maybe your top strength, if I'm recalling correctly. It's my third, but it's my It's favorite. in your top five. Okay. It's your favorite. Yeah. I, I remember times we've talked to you saying, you know, talking about ideation and how that has played into the things that you do. And yeah, I mean, the foundation for that is, like you said, the creativity, the coming up concepts and strategies and all those kind of things. And, and so that makes perfect sense. And, and it's funny as you were describing that, you know, of course I'm thinking strengths and I'm like, you were using your strengths even before you knew what they were, I think in that setting. Yeah. And that, that's part of the exciting thing about that is, is kind of realizing we are able to connect some dots when we see the things we love to do, the things that come maybe a little more easy, but we have to work hard at it still. And then seeing those connected to our strengths and, you know, of course, I could talk all day about that. But <laughs> Well, one of my favorite things in the entire strengths world is Kurt Liesfeld, before he passed away, mm -hmm. he created a list of the 34 themes and what they look like when they're immature. I was mm -hmm. using my strengths my whole life, but in mm -hmm. some ways they were immature. And what does it look like when they're mature? And when, when the strengths oh, okay. are mature, they become almost servant leader strengths. You're using your competition not against other people. You're using your competition to help ev everyone on your team to win. And so as I think back on my career, a lot of times I have great ideas and great strategy. I was a disruptive entrepreneur in the Clayton Christensen mo model where we would give away a product that other people were charging for, kind of a loss leader. We would bring them in and then we would upsell them on all kinds of things. But we were very disruptive. As a CD-ROM publisher before Ancestry.com, we would put a thousand books on a CD-ROM. And we were so proud of ourselves that authors and publishers were using this old-fashioned business model of sell writing and selling books. And there's a very low profit margin on it. And we would put a thousand books on a CD-ROM, sell it for a hundred bucks. And we were so proud of being disruptive. Now, that's an immature use of strength, in my opinion. What I didn't do in my 20s was think about the ecosystem of publishers and authors and their livelihood and say, could we partner with them so that they could extend their livelihood? And, and let's make this an abundant approach rather than disruptive. And I think a lot of young entrepreneurs who are trying to change the world don't realize that the good things they're doing also come with a lot of disruption that can cause a lot of social harm cause a lot of people to go out of business or be laid off. And so now in my later years, when I think about having kids and grandkids and looking at a longer view of life than just, hey, I'm young and disruptive. What, 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 good, what, what success can I have at the expense of others? Now it's more thoughtful and saying what would be good for the world or for society or for this industry rather than just winner-take-all disruption. And so I think when leadership you know, when you're young, you can be using your, your skills and your strengths. But I think with maturity, you, you get a little bit of perspective about what's the right thing to do. And now I'm trying to evolve into a servant leader with an abundant mindset to try to make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a good, oh, sorry. No, that's, that's, I was just going to say that's, that, that is such a good application of the maturity and mm -hmm. immaturity of the strengths. I don't know that I've disgusted that way. So that's a good perspective because sometimes people will say, well, I have this 
I have these strengths and not this one here, I'm not so sure about it. And so it may be that it's just, it's in its immaturity phase. Uh, sometimes I'll say that maybe it's just a muscle you haven't built up as much as your maximizer or your learner or whatever. Well, Kurt described it as using your strengths in a selfish, self-serving way mm-hmm. versus using your strengths in a mm-hmm. in a serving way. Yeah. And that's the difference between an immature and a mature. It's exactly. not that they don't work. It's right. that they're working just for you. Yes. And is right. that the right, right. Uh, servant leader approach? Mm-hmm. His mature model was beautiful because it's yeah. about how does this help others? Exactly. I, I often say to people, your strengths are not really for you. They're for others. And that that's exactly the, the same spirit that Kurt was talking about and that you're talking about is when they're developed and and matured, then we're better able to say, how can I leverage that to make things better for you? How can I make our company work better? How can we be more efficient? Because I want you to not be frustrated in your work. And that's a cool phase of where you and I've been around a few years. We can kind of look back and go, oh, okay, I want to do that a little differently this time. I want to be a different kind of leader this time. Chuck Coonrod wrote a book called The Game of Work. And it was a pivotal book for me because I realized that if every employee at Ancestry.com could keep a scorecard of how well they were doing towards their personal goals and records, that by self-reporting, that they would be conscious of the output that they were doing and they would work harder. So uh, we read. I read the book. I, I started implementing it. I had our scanning department. We had a bunch of young scanners that were scanning four hours a day and And they would then write down how many pages that they scanned that shift and they could see their score and other people's scores. Well, in the first week, our output, our throughput increased by 250% because now everybody was keeping score. And like Mm -hmm. I had walked past the office one time and this young man was asleep twice in a week. And I thought, okay, he's, I didn't say anything to him. I, I was not a really radical candor type leader back then, but I put this game of work thing in motion. And after uh, the 250% increase, I was so proud of myself and how smart I was. But guess what I didn't do? I didn't celebrate or recognize their increase in productivity with company awards or individual Mm -hmm. commendation. It was all about me. Oh, that was really smart, Paul. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I learned it. It was my idea. Mm -hmm. It was my strategy. But talk about a missed opportunity to Mm -hmm. celebrate this this team Mm -hmm. and to uplift them in front of the entire company. I didn't even think of doing that back then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's so central, obviously to, to soar is uplift humanity with, with, when it was early on uh, and the different pivots you've made and, and uh, the, the work we'll talk about, um, in AI, that's one of the, the the great things I love. That's why we've, we've been become friends and stayed in touch is because I love that all that stuff that you are about doing is to make other people's life better. And I, I appreciate that. really affirm that. Well, thank you. We all have the potential to use our gifts and talents for serving others or to use them in a self-serving way. And I mm-hmm. think I've done that a lot. So I think it's time to build a platform, especially with the help of AI, that would mm-hmm. help any leader and manager to improve in their virtues of the things that would make them a better servant leader. And and with feedback, Marshall Goldsmith told me the other day uh, that uh, training without follow-up makes no difference. He said he wrote an article mm-hmm. called The Great Training Robbery. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that's one of the most clever titles that's I've ever heard. That's a great title. <laughs> and I read the article and he shows that every leader who goes through leadership training, mm-hmm. who doesn't have any follow-up, follow-up, there is no perceptible difference in their behavior after the training. It's just a complete waste. 
Mm-hmm. With a little bit of follow-up, there's a little measurable increase mm-hmm. in their leadership. With, with continual follow-up, there is a marked difference in their behavior as a leader. Training plus follow-up results in behavior change that's positive. So Marshall is just such a brilliant guy. Yeah. And, and this concept of follow-up is really important for all leaders and managers and employees who ever get training mm-hmm. to be able to like practice the training or get feedback on the training. And, and Marshall said to me, you know, Paul, AI can count as the, as the giver of the feedback. And so now all leaders and managers could actually get AI generated feedback on, hey, Jeff, how well are you doing on being a servant leader? How well are you serving the four needs of followers? How much are you giving appreciation and expressing gratitude to your team? AI can detect and measure that for you, give you feedback privately so that you can become the kind of leader you aspire to become. It's really a beautiful time to be a, a, a striving leader because AI can help us improve, I think, faster than ever before. Well, I love that because, uh, you know, the, I often say with a variety of things that things can be a double-edged sword, you know, and it's partly to how do you use it? Is it for good or is it for not uh, things that are not good or evil even? And yeah. uh, I, I've so much appreciated how you've given voice to the really wonderful effective, efficient, excellent kinds of things that AI can, can allow us to do. Um, you were talking some about, you know, um, self-evaluation and uh, giving your team feedback. And it, it took me back to a story I know you and I know well, which is uh, the theory of the dipper in the bucket. And uh, Dr. Don Clifton, who created this strengths finder that's now known as the Clifton Strengths in his honor, um, he told a beautiful story about filling buckets. And uh, here in our last couple of three minutes, I'd love you just to reflect on uh, some observations of him and the work that he did that led to this thing we love now called the Strengths Movement. I think, uh, thank you for asking me that. I I think my second half of my life mission is more closely connected to Don Clifton's work than to anything I did previously. I admire him. I think he's the greatest psychologist that lived in the 20th century. And I think it started in 1952 when Mm -hmm. instead of focusing on what's wrong with people, if you think about the DSM, the, the Diagnostics and Statistical Manual, there's thousands of things that are wrong with most of us. We need therapy and psychiatry mm-hmm. and psychology and, and feedback from counselors. Like There's all kinds of problems that each of us has. But Don didn't focus on that for 50 years. He only studied excellence and the pathways that lead to excellence, particularly the natural talents that people have. He studied hundreds of thousands of people. He and his team would interview people for 90 minutes to find out what natural recurring patterns of thinking, feeling, behaving had led them to become a star performer in life insurance sales or engineering or a great doctor or nurse or teacher. And so Don's work was so beautiful. By the end of his life, he had hundreds of talents that he had identified in a taxonomy and he boiled it down to the 34 strengths themes. So I believe that if Don Clifton's life work can be accelerated so that not just 30 million people know their strengths, but as John Clifton, his grandson, who's now the CEO of Gallup, that a billion people someday will know their strengths. And I believe not just know them, but use them as a daily guide for decision-making. Mm-hmm. What job should I take? What, what education should I pursue? How, what projects should I say yes to and no to? Who should I work with? 
And if everyone is aware of their own strengths and the strengths of others, Don Clifton said there are enough strengths to go around to create a productive and harmonious world. Mm-hmm. And if you think about every world problem that we hear about on the news or on mm-hmm. social media constantly, there are no problems that we are facing individually or as a community or family or as a globe that cannot be solved by humans using our God-given talents collaboratively to solve these problems. Every mm-hmm. major problem in history has been solved by people using their talents to overcome. And it's just a matter of awareness and then utilization of those God-given talents that I think will help all of us achieve better outcomes. I, I think that there's a period of abundance that's now possible in human history that's never been possible before, where all knowledge can be uh, at your fingertips with these AI superintelligence chatbots, and that now we need more self-awareness. We need to know what our why is, what Simon Sinek says, what's our mission or purpose. Mm-hmm. Don Clifton also said, strengths develop best in the framework of mission. So he predated Simon Sinek's idea about finding your why by decades. Don Clifton, to me, is one of the greatest human beings that have ever lived. And if his work will spread, Jeff, and I know Mm -hmm. you've been working with him and Dr. Mm -hmm. Chip Anderson 20 plus Mm -hmm. years ago, and Mm -hmm. you've been coaching. There's thousands, tens of thousands of people that love this as much as we do. But as it spreads to the world, there will be no problems that we face collectively or individually that cannot be solved as we work together. Oh yeah. I truly believe that. And if you would have told me, uh, even just a few years ago, like, Oh, well, strengths are this powerful. I would have probably laughed at you and like, this is magic. No, I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't believe in it. But, Mm -hmm. uh, once, once Jeff, you know, Hey, we're going to test you for your strengths. I'm like, okay, cool. And then once he started reading them off, I'm like, I just, you know, a door, a, you know, a door, a ray of light showed down. You know, I was like, I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, these all make these all make complete sense now. And I think you said something about we cracked the code. You were yeah, like, oh. we we really did. And and I I was and it was just it was a really magical moment that I was like, oh, I've been using some of these, but not as as efficiently as I could have been. Mm-hmm. And now that I do know them, I can I. I don't, I can kind of ignore the, you know, the other things that, that, uh, I'm not strong in, but like really lean into these strengths now that I know that, oh, I, I ideation is, is my top one. So I, I know that that's something that's going to definitely fuel, uh, everything that is around me. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm truly a believer now because it, it was, it was just, this, Check. yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> Way to yeah. go, Jeff. Way to go, Jeff. One more, one more what? towards the billion. But, but yeah, the thing is, we're not born with an operating manual that our parents and our teachers can say, oh, for no. best results with Jeff, do right. this, this, and this. Give him this opportunity, and then you'll see excellence. Like We don't get that. But thankfully, Don Clifton, even though we're older when we take it, he gave us that beautiful feedback about what will lead you to your best outcomes. Right. Play to right. your strengths. Play to your strengths. Don't focus and obsess on what you can't do and try, try to modify them slightly. Just do what you were born to do well yeah. and do more of it yeah. and do less of the things you're bad at. And that formula over time works towards excellence every time. Yeah, it really I, does. I was just spinning my wheels and trying to, you know, increment everything. And I'm like, this is just nothing's happening. And then once, once Jeff opened my eyes, I was like, Oh, okay. Here we go. This makes so much more mm-hmm. sense. And also I was amicable to it. It was something that I was like, oh yes, this is something I can do. Whereas doing all the incremental things with the things I didn't like doing wasn't, painful. Was, wasn't ideal for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was truly painful. It so I painful. like, 
so yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a believer now. It's, it's, it's awesome. And I love, and I love, uh, I love to hear about, um, all of the things that you're uh, doing within your corporation, uh, mm-hmm. as well. But yeah. I think we'll, we'll probably be getting into that into the next podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was thinking, Paul, as you were commenting on your, your journey with, uh, strengths and Dr. Clifton and your work at Gallup, I thought you could just clip that out and that's a pretty good Ted talk right there. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> just one guy's opinion, but, uh, just, uh, really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Um, you know, we could talk all day, especially when we get up on strengths, but, uh, um, we need to, uh, land the plane, so to speak. So again, Paul, thank you for being with us, talking about your passions, the things that you've done, and we'll look forward to our next conversation here on leadership level up. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Leadership Level Up. Please subscribe so you don't miss future conversations with great leaders. 